And I'm fortunate enough to have um, the presence of Achuta Gopi, who is um, a fantastic, fantastic uh, writer. She is also an editor and a kirtan enthusiast. I think uh, the world over we know her most for her kirtans. But she she is, to me, like one of the most fantastic contemporary writers we have in our bhakti tradition today. And we'll get a chance later on to chat about Prema Mala. Um, so I'm, I'm really excited about that. And yeah, just, just sort of a background for, for everyone tuning in, uh, how this came about. Um, so I am a person who's, who's always been journaling, practically like since I was uh, 13 years old and stuff. And I, I focus on different meditations every single year. Like uh, last year, my, 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 the theme of my journal was gratitude. So I meditated a lot on, on gratitude. And this year, the theme of my journal is, is patience and learning to be patient and, and understanding uh, the spiritual strength and faith that requires to be patient and, and wait for, for Krishna's plan. And so I thought, you know, here's an opportunity for me to interact with someone who's a fellow journaler and, and others who... Um, basically go through a similar or maybe even a different process of meditation. So I thought, let me get in touch with Achuta and see what we can, we can do here. So um, that's the background on it. Um, I think I'll start off here, uh, Achuta. Um, I was reading your story, uh, well, parts of your story in Prema Mala, in the notes about, about the author. And one of the things that, that really struck me was, was how you were given so much love by your parents and well wishes at an early age and, and how you are today in a position to give so much love to others. And hence the title of today's talk, um, Learning How to Receive and to Give Love. And at a very early age, you, you knew you wanted to to write for Krishna or write, um, uh, write um, um, works in, in, in the bhakti tradition. Can you tell me a little bit about your story about how you came to the point of wanting to write, um, uh, you know, Prema Mala and so many other things that you've written? When I was maybe eight or nine, in school, we were reading like Anne Frank's diary and Slada's diary and, and all of these people, these young personalities going through real life uh, circumstances and overcoming all kinds of obstacles and they would journal about it. So from then, like you, I thought to myself, okay, why not journal? Uh, so I had all kinds of notebooks and journals and they were like pink and sparkly and sometimes teal and all kinds of things that locks on them. And um, I, I kept wondering who I was going to address my journal to. So in one of the girl's journals, she had Dear Kitty and she was addressing her journal every day. 
And um, I, I tried a couple of different things, tried talking to myself, and none of it ever really seemed to work. And one day, I said, why not Krishna? Uh, the second generation, you grow up constantly hearing the mantra, Krishna is your friend, Krishna is your best friend. Prahlad Maharaj even said, Krishna is your best friend. Uh, every single story, Krishna is your best friend. So I thought, why not journal to my best friend? And it kind of started from there and continued and snowballed into this relationship where I felt like he watched me grow and then we grew together and closer and it strengthened a bond where he's actively been seeing me through everything that's been going on in my life. And not that Krishna is not observing everything any, anyhow, but being conscious that he's there and observing and an active participant in everything mm. started me on, uh, on, on my journey of sharing with him. And then on the other side, um, my, my parents were like a little bit strict. So if I wanted to go outside and play during the summer, I had to make sure I chanted rounds and I read Krishna book. Mm. And I kind of did that with all of us. So reading Krishna book, there were all of these incredible adventures and there were all of these amazing pastimes. And Krishna did all of these heroic things. And uh, as I grew up, I would talk to my friends and I would bring up some pastime or some detail. And they'd say, oh, wow, I never heard that. Hmm. And uh, it was something that kind of hit me really hard because um, I, I feel like we'll know Harry Potter like the back of our hands and we'll get so involved in so many different pastimes and we forget that there is there's nothing that Krishna hasn't done or seen or conquered or gone through hmm. so not only are we like depriving ourselves of some of the best adventures but we're also we're also putting a distance between ourselves and our problems and what Krishna can handle. Yeah. We start thinking, oh, I, I can't be real with Krishna about this because, I mean, what's he going to think? But if you take a look through Srimad Bhagavatam, there is absolutely nothing that Krishna hasn't seen or already been a part of. Yeah. So for me, it was one of those things that inspired incredible hope. Mm. And just knowing that I can go to him with anything and he will have already solved my problem. Yeah, that's, I love what you just said at the end there, going to Krishna with anything. And uh, if I could share uh, a little bit of my own story about how I yes. started. Um, I grew up in, in a Christian background and uh, my mom was, a fantastic lady. I, I really love her to bits. Uh, I, I just had so many questions about life. Um, I, and I couldn't find any answers to, to uh, any of the questions that I was asking. 
roaming around trying to figure out where I fit in and how I fit in. And eventually I approached my mother with this uh, predicament that, that I was facing. And she got me this blank book uh, at the age of 13. And she said, why don't you write to God about this? Why don't you put down your questions and, and, and put them before God? And at the age of 13, that's where my journey of journaling began. And ever since then, I've always called my journal entries, my conversations with God. And it, it's, it's interesting how um, both our stories sort of seem to um, coincide there where we were given that inspiration. In other words, we received that love from, from, from our folks, from our parents, who um, inspired us to, to find a deeper connection with God, with Krishna, um, through penmanship, basically. And that sort of like brings me to, to this point over here about um, something that we both um, love and we've discussed briefly and something I asked you about and the last time I caught you online, um, and that's Bhagavatam. Um, for me, uh, I've always, like I said, struggled to find uh, a place to belong, struggled mm -hmm. to identify myself with one or other group. I, I could never like really fit in. And I felt like the only person who really understand, understood me was, was God, was Krishna. And... Then I stumbled across Bhagavatam. This is like um, 10 years after I started journaling. And here it was, this book, which, was, which is a treasure trove of different personalities going through so many different um, uh, adversities um, and all pursuing the same goal I was pursuing, Krishna's love. And... That's when I fell in love with Bhagavatam. Now, I want to, the question I asked you the last time I caught you online is, what's your favorite pastime in Bhagavatam? And, and why is that your favorite pastime? How has it um, affected you? Um, I think for me, I always, I ask a lot of people that question. And um, I think it's, it's very telling of our own stories as, as, um, as Bhakti Yogi is traversing this world? Well, like you said, uh, Bhagavatam is a treasure trove of amazing, amazing stories. And um, I think that every, every time I look at Bhagavatam, I think, okay, I've, I've found some things that I like about it. And then something new pops up. And there's something deeper, there's something sweeter, there's something more to find, even in pastimes that you've already read, pastimes that you've already looked at, you could spend just, you could spend a year going through just one pastime. And it would never, ever get old. And mm -hmm. my Guru Maharaj was just saying the other day that Mahaprabhu would sit and listen to Bhagavatam with Kadadhar Pandit and they'd go through the story of Prahlad Maharaj a hundred times before they could move on to the next one. Which, for me, just imagine, you can go through it the first time, but okay, one verse is sweet. 
Then you go through it the next time and you find another verse that's sweet. Mm. And you can find meanings upon meanings in just one verse. I'm a person who loves fun facts and details. And so that for me is one of the most intriguing parts about Bhagavatam, that there are so many details, the way the stories all weave together and the way all personalities seem to meet up and do different things. And um, the fact that throughout Bhagavatam and throughout even Chaitanya Charitamrita, you have so many personalities and so many different stories. And then you have the same personalities returning in Chaitanya Charitamrita and still no two stories are the same. Yeah. Like you said, they're all moving towards the same goal and yet no two stories towards transcendence are the same, mm. which just solidified a feeling that no matter what my journey on the path of bhakti may look like, even if it looks different from everybody else's, that's okay. Because somehow we all make it. We all, we all make our way back. We all find our, our tribe. We find our soulmates. We work with them. And then we all find a way to go back to the goal. Yeah. So in that, one of my favorite stories of all time is the story of Usha and Aniruddha. Um, it's kind of nestled deep within Krishna book. You have to get all the way through a whole bunch of chapters mm -hmm. and Krishna goes through and has a whole life and all kinds of things. And then all of a sudden, Maharaj Parikshit asks, okay, I heard about this one time where Lord Shiva, the greatest of all Vaishnavas, is fighting with Lord Krishna on a battlefield. How in the world could that be possible? It, it seems completely unheard of. It doesn't happen very often. And, and why? Why would they be fighting? And uh, Prichit Maharaj then launches in to this amazing story, which for me kind of begins even cantos before. Um, so the more I, I research this story, the more I realize that, wow, it kind of starts a long, long, long time ago. Um, Banasura being the eldest son of Bali Maharaj, because the Asura race of beings have such long lifespans, Banasura is there when Vamana comes. And mm -hmm. Vamana approaches Bali Maharaj and asks for seemingly three steps of land and takes everything away from the kingdom of the, demi the, the, the demons. And so usually, because of Prahlad Maharaj, for generations, the family of Bali has been worshipping. But now you have Banasura, and all of a sudden, he switches his worship to Lord Shiva. He rekindles this hatred for Lord Vishnu, who's taken everything away from his family and given them some charity kingdom in Sutala. And so he decides he's not going to make his, his home there. He's going to go to Earth. He's going to make his home there. He's going to build a new kingdom. And they say that Banasura was a wonderful king. He was truthful and charitable and honorable. And all of his citizens loved him. 
he also just happened to dislike Krishna Vishnu very much. Hmm. So for a long time, he's kind of biding his time and waiting. He winds up um, fighting with Kamsa. And uh, Kamsa, he was really an interesting demon because he didn't have a lot of boons. What he had was he was gifted with incredible strength. Yeah. And then he went and started subjugating these other demons. And Banasura was also gifted with incredible strength by Lord Shiva. And he's gifted a thousand arms. So Kamsa and Banasura actually meet up at one point and they're fighting. And it's Narada Muni who shows up and says, whoa, whoa, you guys are fighting, but you have a common enemy. At this point, why don't you stop fighting each other because you're similarly gifted and, and you're just going to wind up doing away with each other. You'll cancel each other out. Why don't you join forces and just make friendship with your common goal of, of eradicating Lord Vishnu? So they shake hands and decide to be friends. Hmm. So they call a truce. They leave each other to their separate sides. Eventually, Kamsa's defeated and taken out. But Banasura is still around. And he has a daughter named Usha. And she grows up and she's quite lovely and really beautiful. And when she gets to an age where she can be married, all of these kings and princes want her hand in marriage. And Banasura decides, um, as a father, he says, you know, I don't want to deal with this. So he puts her in a separate fort. And the fort is named Agnigar which means basically a house of fire because he constructs a moat of fire around the fort. So he puts her in this fortress and he makes sure that there are no men that can even see inside. There are no men inside the fortress. She has guards and all kinds of things and they're all female assassins. So he's employed all of these people to watch his daughter and make sure nothing happens to her. Um, but just as Banasura takes up the worship of Lord Shiva as his worshipful Lord, Usha has taken up the worship of the goddess Gori. So she has her own palace deity worship and her temple. And one day she sees the goddess there in a vision with Lord Shiva. And she thinks, wow, I really want a relationship like that. I wonder how I could get a relationship like that. And so the goddess says, don't be so impatient. One day you'll find your match. And so she's still thinking, but when? How will I know? As a lot of young girls do, once that idea of your soulmate and your true love enters into your mind, you're going to latch onto it. You need to know all of the details. So she says, don't worry. One day, and she actually tells her the exact time. She's like, it'll be a summer month. It'll be a Dwadasi after the day of Akadashi. And one day you'll have a dream and you'll see the hero of your heart. So she kind of waits and waits and year after year, she finds the season and all that. And one day she's sleeping and she has a dream about this boy. And in the dream, she's sporting with him and she's hugging him and she's kissing him. And then she wakes up and she's calling out to this boy that she's never met before and all of her friends are kind of looking at her like, eh, what's happening with you? This is new. And her friend Chichuleka, who is her best friend, 
And the daughter of the general of Banasura comes to her and she says, what's going on with you? And so Usha confides in her and she says, I saw this boy. And the goddess told me one day I'd have this dream. So now I've had it. Now, now I don't know what to do. Now I'm sunk in this desperation of separation from him. Chitraleka says, I happen to be a great yogini. So if you describe to me what he looks like, I'll paint you a picture. And if I can paint you a picture, I'll find him and bring him to you. So already this story, we've got like, we've got teenage love and all this romance. And now we're going to have some kidnapping because what's a good story without kidnapping? So <laughs> Chitraleka begins to draw all of these pictures of all of the beings in the entire creation from all the different planetary systems. And she draws demons and demigods and Gandharvas and Siddhas and yogis and Brahmins. And finally, she's drawing humans. And she's drawing from so many different dynasties. And she starts to draw the Yadus. And she draws Vasudev. And she draws Balaram. And she draws Krishna. And when Usha sees Krishna, she gets a little bit shy. Mm. And then she draws Pradyumna, the father of Aniruddha. And Usha gets even more shy. But then finally, when she draws Aniruddha, then Usha can't contain herself anymore. And she goes, that's him. That's the one. So Chitraleka knows, having this knowledge of, of all the universe, she understands that this is the grandson of Krishna. And she says, fine, no problem. Tonight, he's yours. And so Chitraleka takes all of her mystic potency and journeys all the way to Dwarka. And a lot of our Vaishnav commentaries say that she can't get in. Dwarka is protected by Krishna himself and all of Krishna's potency. So she can arrive there, but she doesn't exactly know how to get in. So she prays to her guru, who is Narada Muni. And he appears on the spot and says, what can I do for you? And she says, well, I have this mission. I kind of want to get this boy from my princess, but I don't know how to get in. And so he mm. gives her secret mantras that give her access to Dwarka. And she chants those mantras and she's able to magically transport herself within the city. And then she transports Aniruddha from his own bedroom inside his palace, because he's asleep, all the way back to the city where Usha is waiting for her prince. And they say that Usha then begins to worship and care for Aniruddha just as if he were the Supreme Personality of Godhead. And all of her care and affection and attention, it binds him to her so much that he doesn't even realize how long he's been away from home. Yeah. And he begins spending time with Usha. And they are so wrapped up in each other that they don't even realize the bounds of their joy. And then one day, everyone kind of begins to realize that Usha is looking a little pregnant. So at a certain point, they can't hide it any longer. Mm. And they think, okay, we have a huge problem. So they tentatively go to Banashura and tell him that his daughter, who is young and unmarried, uh, is now about to be a mother. And he is reasonably furious. 
And so he takes a, a battle contingent and decides this is impossible. He journeys all the way to Agnigar Fort, which is not that far from the main palace, but he gets there, storms the, the fortress and arrives and he sees that Aniruda is completely unfazed. He's there. He has his head on the lap of his daughter, which for a father uh, is completely <laughs> just... <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um, it, it's just it's completely baffling yeah and he looks at his guards and and he realizes even in the moment that usha couldn't have picked a better person he's really handsome he looks capable he looks heroic but just on principle he hates him and so he says kill him and Aniruda finally stands up and he looks around and he can't find any other weapon. So he picks up an iron rod and then he begins to do battle with all of these guards and nobody can defeat Aniruda. And he's fighting and they say that he looks just like Yamaraj with his, with his rod of punishment. So they see him standing before them, almost looking like the Lord of Death. Yeah. And he fights with all of them and then he, he drags the battle out away from the palace. But finally... Banasura has uh, a snake weapon and he releases the snake weapon where this huge snake turns into a rope and it binds up Aniruda. Yeah. And so finally Aniruda is captured and they lock him in a dungeon and Usha's distraught and grief stricken and she doesn't know what to do. And the Yadus are back home because it was the rainy season. So four months and they think, okay, maybe he went traveling and since it's the rainy season, no one travels during the monsoons because everything is flooded. So we'll just wait and we'll see if he comes back. And after the rainy season, he hasn't returned. And now everybody is thinking, well, where is Aniruda? What could have happened to him? And in walks Narada Muni. And he says, well, uh, interesting that you should ask. Aniruda has been captured by Banasura, the demon king. And now he's, 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 stuck in a dungeon and someone should go save him and in some cases Krishna asks well how could Aniruddha have been captured and Narada Muni says well there was a girl and she had a dream and her best friend came and she captured the boy and brought him back and Krishna says well how would anyone have been able to get into my kingdom and Narada Muni says well I don't know these are questions that you're gonna have to ask them have to go by and he makes his swift exit. And Krishna gathers up many, many millions of soldiers. And the Yadus march on this city of Shanitapura. And they arrive there at the, the, the main city of Banasura. And they begin to lay waste to everything. Gardens and parks and all kinds of things. They, they knock down the walls. And Banasura sees it and he's furious. So he calls on the one person who always said that they would protect his city, Lord Shiva. Mm. He says, you promised me that you would always protect my city. Now's the time you have to do battle on my behalf. And Lord Shiva knows that Banasura is going to lose. And he knows that this is not actually a battle that he wants to engage in. But he thinks just to please my Lord and to give glory to Lord Krishna, showing the entire universe 
that he's even more powerful than me, I will do battle with my own worshipful Lord. So he gathers his sons, Kartikeya and Lord Ganesh, and he marches there. And they say that the first of his entourage to arrive are all of the ghosts and hobgoblins and demons and all of these ghouls arrive before Lord Shiva to protect their Lord. And the Yadus are almost assailed by this, this contingent of, of ghostly beings. And they all look to Krishna, what do we do now? And they say that Krishna twangs his bow and just the sound vibration starts to increase auspiciousness. So these demons are beaten back just by the vibration of Krishna twanging his bow. And then Krishna begins to shoot arrows. And I was telling Nandi, my daughter, the other day, I said, I think the only person who would have arrows sharp enough to pierce a subtle body is Krishna. How amazing is our Krishna that he has these arrows that are sharp enough to give pain to even the subtle body. Yeah. So he begins shooting arrows at these at these ghostly demons and then they're beaten back and they run back to Lord Shiva for shelter. Help, what's happening? Mm. This has never happened to them before. And then Lord Shiva begins to fight and there is an incredible fight. He throws out hurricane weapons and Krishna beats them back and, and protects his army with a mountain in the middle of a battlefield. He throws out wind weapons and Krishna battles them back. And so he throws out a brahmastra even and Krishna throws out a canceling brahmastra and protects everyone. He throws out weapon after weapon and Krishna battles and counteracts all of these weapons. And finally, Krishna decides that, okay, I have to turn my attention to this Banasura, but he doesn't want to harm Lord Shiva. So he throws out a weapon of sleep, a yawning weapon, and the weapon hits Lord Shiva. And they say that when the weapon hits his opponent, the opponent gets so tired and so fatigued that all they want to do is sit down and yawn. So Lord Shiva decides to give up the battle, sit down and take a nap. And I thought, how amazing. Who would think of that? Just, mm. I don't want to harm him. They have such respect for one another. He's, he's, he's Mahadev. Why would he want to harm him? So, okay, he can take a nap. So he goes and Lord Shiva takes a nap. And finally now, Banashura and Lord Krishna are fighting. And they say that he's working 500 bows and 2,000 arrows. He has all of his thousand arms. And Krishna's battling with him and he's breaking his chariot back and forth. All of these things and no one can conquer Krishna. So Krishna's broken his chariot to pieces and it looks like Banasura is about to lose and Lord Shiva's still asleep. But the goddess Kotara, who is a form of the divine goddess who's the wife of Lord Shiva, Parvati, she sees Banasura as a son. So she takes this form as Kotara and she says, hmm, well, I have to protect him. And my Lord is asleep. So she runs onto the battlefield completely naked. Hair scattered. And Lord Krishna turns his face away. And in that moment, Banasura retreats. He leaves the battlefield. He goes back home to regroup and figure out what to do next. 
And in that time, then Krishna regroups and looks around. Well, what do we do now? Lord Shiva awakens. And he says, okay, I have to throw out my ultimate weapon. And he throws out a Shiva Dwara weapon. And they call it a, a fever weapon. And they say when the universe is about to be destroyed, there is a fire that burns up everything. And the personification of this fire is this Shiva Dwara. Has three heads, several arms, and is burning up everything in its path. And Lord Krishna looks at it and then he throws out his own personal weapon, which is a Vishnu Dwara weapon. And it's made up of extreme cold. And it's a fever of cold. So these two fever weapons begin to battle against each other. Mm. However, they say that sometimes when everything is too hot, you can somehow stand it. But when everything is too cold, everything dies. So finally, the Shiva Dwara weapon is beaten back and subdued by this Vishnu Dwara weapon. And it's crawling back to Lord Shiva, asking, begging for help. And Lord Shiva says, I can't help you. There is one person who's more powerful than I am. You have to ask Lord Krishna for help. Shiva Dwara runs to Lord Krishna and says, okay, I'm sorry. I give up. I surrender. Help. And Lord Krishna gives blessing and finally revokes his own weapon. And then Banasura comes back onto the battlefield, somehow bolstered by this confidence. I mean, did you not just see what happened? I... <laughs> I'm not sure where the demons get their confidence from, but it is incredible. So Vanasur arrives back on the battlefield and Lord Krishna finally invokes his Sudarshan Chakra. Look, enough. And Lord Shiva finally says, wait, stop. He's my devotee. And no matter what, somehow, I don't know how I got entangled in this. And it was really foolish but even I can't give up the love of my devotee. So protect him. Have, have mercy on him. Have compassion for him. But Krishna says, okay. And he winds up cutting off all of his arms but four. And he says, fine. I bless him that he will be nearly immortal. And now he has a four-armed form that looks just like mine. And he says, because he's your devotee, I'll give him protection. As long as he gives me back my grandson, we'll be fine. And he does give him back his grandson. But later on, Lord Shiva speaks to Narada Muni in the Brihad Bhagavatam Rita. And he says, one would think that Lord Krishna showed compassion on Banasura because he was my devotee. It had nothing to do with me at all. It was just because he was Bali Maharaj's son. And because Krishna loved Prahlad, that's why he gave such mercy to Banasura. It had nothing to do with me. I was just happy and lucky to be there. So they give Aniruddha back. And Aniruddha and Usha have a beautiful wedding. And they have a beautiful boy that they named Bhadra. And it is this great-grandson of Krishna's that goes on to establish all of the temples that we have and carry on the line of the Yadus after the Yadu dynasty is completely annihilated. And he's the only one that can continue the line because he's the one Yadu that continues to exist because he is in the line of Prahlad Maharaj. Yeah. So when all of the Yadus are defeated, Vajra remains. So the story with teen pregnancies, and battles, angry fathers, 
all of the gods coming together and witnessing this entire, entire huge event is one of my favorite stories. Um, Krishna fights for a love that technically has nothing to do with him. He sees these two and, and it gives me hope that not only can we love Krishna, but we can love each other. Hmm. I feel like there's such an importance based on we should love Krishna, but what does that mean for the rest of us in our lives? Hmm. So here you have this girl and you have Krishna's grandson and his family, but who's not part of Krishna's family? So I feel like just the same way he fought for that love story, he'll he'll fight for ours. Hmm. He'll come and make miracles in our lives just as long as we 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 choose to be on his side. That was beautiful. That was Thank so you. beautiful. Um, I think you remember when we sort of like imagined having this discussion, we uh, loosely titled it uh, A Storyteller's Kirtan. And and oftentimes we, we, we forget that Bhagavatam is Kirtan. We forget... Um, just how glorious and and heart soothing it is to hear uh, these pastimes, and um, you know it just reminds me of something before we actually get onto Prema Mala because I w- I definitely want to touch on a few poems in there. Um, there's this there's this pastime of um, of Srinivasacharya after Lord Chaitanya had uh, basically left uh, the world. And Gadadhar Pandit, like you were saying earlier, um, how Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu would read Bhagavatam with Gadadhar and, and Nityananda. And um, after Lord Chaitanya had left the world, Gadadhar was distraught. He was basically in, you know, a paralyzed state, unable to function and do anything out of separation for Lord Chaitanya. And... Um, Srinivasacharya ends up going to his ashram and he pays obeisances um, to the still body of, of Gadadhar. And um, as he's paying obeisances, Srinivasacharya says, Gora. And, and Gadadhar is, is animated again just by hearing the name Gora. Mm. And Srinivas uh, actually asks um, Gadadhar, please teach me Bhagavatam. And Gadada says, I'm unable to teach you Bhagavatam um, because the pages of my Bhagavatam have been spoiled by the tears of Lord Chaitanya. So (laughs) just imagine how much they're extracting out of hearing Bhagavatam and how much we can extract. And, you know, we're sort of that's why I love the, the, the title of this, this talk that we're having, Receiving Love in order to give it, because um, even in, in um, um, Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's um, pastimes, it's mentioned that um, the members of the Panchatattva first tasted um, the fruit of love of God and then distributed it to others. So, um, yeah, we need to receive in order to give. So thank you for sharing that. That was amazing. And yeah, you're definitely one of my favorite storytellers. <laughs> but now onto um, a book I've been reveling in. Well, this is like the second or third read of Prema Mala. And you can see like I've marked out like a few things over here. I love it. That makes my whole day. 
Yeah, yeah. I'm like a. I make bunny ears in my books. I make. Uh, I love it so much. You know, <laughs> that's how I read.、Um, but I wanted to because a lot of people were asking me as、uh, to the lead up of this、um, get together that you and I are having、um, about putting out your heart. Now we're on. We've we've talked about receiving love. Now we're on to you know the part of of giving love and and this is. As a as a, a fellow journaler, as a writer, I know how scary it is to put a piece of yourself out there for the world to view, and and basically this is what this is. This is a piece of you, you know, <laughs> Prema Mala, very intimate and very personal、um, meditations that you had, and I I sort of want to like delve into one or two poems. Um, that 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 you've written, and and maybe if you could share like briefly the meditation that inspired it. I don't think we'll have time to go through、um, the other poems that I have. We'll go through、um, one poem here, and、um, where is it? Metal. Yeah. So. This is probably my favorite poem in in the whole whole of Prema Mala. It's entitled "Medal." I haven't won any medals, no accolades by my name, no fancy title to introduce me, no pretentious claims to fame. The only medallion I wear is your love, and somehow, that's more than enough. When my heart feels terribly un- underdressed. It's the one thing I can be sure of. So take this heart; it's all I have, dusty and bruised, though it may be. As the dust as the dust gets cleared away, you can see romance's fingery, etched upon its outer edges. Your love makes it shine like gold, until its brilliance begins to take over, in hues both bright and bold. So I wear this heart as a badge of honor, proudly made brand new, and I know the only epithet I need is one forever linked to you. Yeah, that that poem really touched me because so often we feel that we're lacking as human beings and as spiritual aspirants. But what you put out there was was that, despite all of our flaws and quote unquote inadequacies, there is someone who loves us regardless. So I want to hear your meditation behind that, and and、um, more importantly, about how you overcame that vulnerability. Yourself, because good writing takes a certain level of vulnerability in order for you to write something that's really compelling for your audience.、Um, to begin with, I remember sitting down and and writing that particular one, and.、Uh, it was just it was one of those days where, like you said. It felt so 
inadequate. And there are some days when uh, you can feel like, well, you know, there are a lot of people out there who are getting a whole bunch of, of, of praise and accolades and for stuff that I've been doing for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> and as, as unhumble as that sounds, I am, I am not one to have ever pretended that those feelings don't bubble up. Yeah. And uh, so I think sometimes I wind up writing to combat those feelings, the feelings of why not me? You know what? I feel like I've been doing a good job. And I really feel like people should recognize the good job that I'm doing. And then uh, there are times when I think, wait a second, I'm losing sight of the goal here. And in those moments, that's when I know I need to sit down and write something. Mm. Uh, as for vulnerability, I kind of approach it the way I've approached Kirtan. I am actually a really shy person. For the beginning years of my life, I never stopped talking when with my family and I wouldn't talk outside of my family. And then all of a sudden there was Kirtan and my Kirtan guru, who was a really nice Bengali man, said one day he was like why are you singing like this open your mouth and basically he, basically he said the wider you open the, your mouth the more the holy name can come out and um after that it's been a constant practice of whenever i feel scared whenever i feel terrified which is pretty much basically almost before every kirtan. I always feel a little bit unsure and a little bit nervous and a little bit like, what am I doing here? Um, but being with my brother, anybody who's been in kirtan with Ananta knows at some point he is going to terrify you into chanting the holy name. <laughs> and lovingly so, but he's gonna do it. And he's not gonna, he's not gonna let up. He's gonna be persistent. And he's going to be enthusiastic. And at some point, he's going to look at you, even if you're in the back of the room, and say, okay, your turn. You chant. Hmm. And it's overcoming that feeling of being terrified, which somehow helped me to connect. Um, it was feeling that fear and doing it anyway. Hmm. So... I kind of approached writing in the same way. Although I think I might've been even more scared about writing than I did about singing. With yeah. singing, everybody knows the words. You can, you can fall back on Maha Mantra. Everybody's gonna do it, it's fine. I'll pick somebody else's tune. Uh, we already have words, I don't have to do anything. And then with writing, it was like, well, if everybody gets an idea of what's really going on inside here, what will happen? Yeah. yeah. But thinking about my guru Maharaj, every time he gives a lecture, he just he just honestly puts out what's inside. Mm -hmm. And Gorgovinda Maharaj, who is my family guru, really 
encouraged. Cry. Cry for Krishna. It doesn't matter. Just give it. And if you can't cry for Krishna, then cry because you want to learn how to. But no matter what it is, just put it out there. Um, so I think that that helped in overcoming some of the the feelings that might have stopped me along the yeah. way and just thinking, okay, if, if I put this out there, then somebody else has always said, oh, me too, I feel that same way. So not only does it let me know that we're in this together, but we're all terrified together. We're doing this kirtan together, the whole kirtan of life. We are engaging in it together and we're all trying to make our way back together. Yeah. And, you know, there's, there's something I can resonate very deeply with because um, I think all throughout my life, even uh, throughout my schooling uh, time, every time I wrote, I, I always um, got comments that you should write more, you should write more, you should write more. And I, I never felt comfortable um, you know, sort of broadcasting my, my inner thoughts, my, my, my emotions, and so on. And then I recall a, uh, a time in, it was probably six, seven years ago in, in Mayapur with, with my own uh, spiritual teacher and guru, Jairoita Maharaj. Uh, I, I'd, I'd, wrote, I'd written an article, uh, which, which I, I, I do practically almost every month, every second month, and which they are amazing, by the way. Thank uh, you for those. Thank you. Thank, well, I didn't know you read them. But <laughs> yeah. <laughs> thank you so much. Um, anyway, like I, I, I wrote an article and then I, because I, I, I get a lot of um, um, help from him. And he was like, this is good. This is good. It's, um, you know, it's philosophically sound, etc. And I always carry my journal with me everywhere I go. So when we were having this conversation, my journal was sitting on my lap. And he's like, this is good, but I want you to write about what's in there. Mm. And, you know, you've also said it yourself, um, how uh, Jairetama is, is such a, an advocate for, for, for writing down your realizations. And, and I'm so grateful to you uh, right now for this um, session that we're having because I guess it's, it's part of like uh, the evolution of my own journaling process, becoming more and more comfortable with um, understanding my own um, emotional state, reconciling that with my spiritual aspirations and, and putting it and, and sharing it with, with others so that um, you can continue to learn and share from each other. And that's, for me, what Prema Mala really is. It's, it's, it's a devotee sharing their own visceral experience of Krishna consciousness. And because the words are so true and sincere, they have such a profound impact on, on the people who, who read them. So um, as a fellow journaler, and and uh you know someone who's also trying to get to grips with with um just the practice of of bhakti yoga i just wanted to thank you for that um yeah i just what i mean prema mala is filled with so many things there's the um you know you wrote about i think trust um mm. and with with uh with agasura 
and and that deals a lot with with faith and 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 so on how the coward boys had like this limitless faith in krishna um there's there's other there's other poems um, um and and writings in there about about japa which are such fantastic meditations um gratitude as well so um i wish we had more time but unfortunately we don't and uh i just hope one day we get to sit down in person and really get to to like um have like a a real good a discussion heart to heart yeah a heart to heart <laughs> like cuz i still want to tell you about vitrasura and how that past ah. affected me and yeah <laughs> anyway but um i just want to thank you i want to thank everyone for um joining in today it's been such a a pleasure having you on uh chuta um i'm really grateful and if you guys would would like me to carry on with these um mukunda's meditations with friends let me know yes um, please <laughs> what i am doing though next week i have some a surprise for next week next week i have another good friend on next week sunday at um 7 pm south african time I have my good friend uh from the UK Buta Bhavana Prabhu Yay. and um we'll be we'll be speaking on resilience basically how to build immunity against anxiety and stress so look out for that um I'm really excited about that because he's such a a, a great soul in terms of putting Krishna consciousness into everyday um practical life uh and he any articulates that in such a fantastic way so i'm really looking forward to to that engagement and um thank you again keep on journaling guys keep the meditations going keep diving deeper and deeper into bhagavatam keep chanting the holy name and, and now we all have to tell you that we need your story times oh lord <laughs> i'll i'll try there's a personal request <laughs> <laughs> Um okay we'll work on that we'll work on that um I appreciate the encouragement that Yeah I'm holding to it <laughs> Oh now now you said it on in public so oh jeez man Why That's right that? <laughs> Uh Jet thank you so much um Thank you We should do this again I don't know when and you know you have so many fans in South Africa so we're going to make a plan to get you down here Shout out yes. Shaitala and Vaishnavi who wanted me to say that. I know they wanted me. To say that. Um yeah. Um anyway, take care. Thank you everyone for joining in. Um Thank this will you. be posted in stories and my IG live. So look out for that and we'll catch you next week 7 p.m. SA time. That'll be 6 p.m. UK time with Bhuta Bhavna Prabhu Mukunda's meditation with friends. We're going to be talking about resilience, building immunity. against stress and anxiety so check you how are you all thank you how are you all